In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' comeback win over the Indiana Pacers, the role that the 2-3 zone played in it, and specifically that Matisse Thibel played in it, and whether or not the Sixers should play zone more often. More thoughts on Embiid's MVP candidacy, whether or not the Sixers should pursue J.J. Redick in a trade, and a running beef with another Sixers podcast. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash SixersBeat, where you can get 50% off of a yearly subscription. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined by Rich Hoffman, the unathletic Rich Hoffman on the Sixers beat, a part of the, <laughs> I guess we'll get into that pretty quickly, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. You're filling no, up no, the no. Let's, let's save it. Let's save it towards the end. Although it is funny, <laughs> Kevin Durant, I think he told the Bay Area guys a few years ago when they had first started, why, why don't you call it the unathletic? Because you're unathletic writers and, yeah. and that's a ridiculous name. It is not in reference to uh, to our podcast name, but your fifteen and six Philadelphia 76ers. They're athletic. They are all of them are athletic, all especially compared to what we will be talking about later on in the podcast. Who's the least athletic guy on the team? He's the best athlete. Oh, but, I, I would have and, ever known, and the best shooter you've probably ever known too. Um, it is amazing when you see these guys shoot in a uh, in an open gym. Anyway, way off topic. Sixers have now won three in a row, including wins a. a Incredible comeback win where I had my game story half written up and then it came back in the final six minutes against the Pacers. A dominant performance from Embiid against the Wolves, which we talked about in the last pod, but also and then the win over the Lakers, the thrilling win over the Lakers, uh, where they barely clung to victory. They have that's now. A, by the way, that's a very old school sports writer thing of you to erase your column halfway through and and need to. Refile. If I'm being completely honest, I don't pre-write as well as I should or write during the game as well as I should. I'm, I'm terrible more, at that. much more at like taking notes during the game. But when you're down 20 in the second half in a game without Embiid, like you think you know the story. Uh, and, and I try to get get by with it once and it burns me. Um, but I was yep. happy for it because it, it prevented presented a really good story. But they've now won six out of seven. Uh, I think if you take that back, it's eight out of ten. They are in first place in the Eastern Conference by, what is it, two games? Two and a half. I two believe. and a half. Uh, a couple of good wins. If I'm being completely honest, I think the Lakers win and then the Pacers win were probably the two best wins of the season uh, and for, for very different reasons. So I guess we'll start off with that Pacers game because it is the most logical. You had the Sixers down 20 in the second half. I think they were down 16 with about nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. And then they went to a 2-3 zone. And we talked a lot about a 2-3 zone last year because it flummoxed the Sixers completely. And it resulted in the only two losses they've had at the Wells Fargo Center since the start of the 2019 season. Um, the, what, it was the Heat and the Mavericks that, mm-hmm. that got them in those two games. Sixers used it to their ad- advantage in this one. And it was really, really fun to watch. And it started off, you know, I think two people, uh, Ty- um, Matisse Thibel and Dwight Howard played the entire 12 minutes that fourth quarter. The entire 12 minutes that they had used that zone. Coming into the game, they had only played zone 20 possessions the entire year. They used 15 of it in the fourth quarter against the Pacers. Uh, the two mainstays, like I said, Howard and, and Thibel. 
They started off with Maxi on the perimeter and then brought in Ben Simmons on the perimeter. And I think when Ben Simmons came in, that's when that really picked up. Um, but Matisse Leibel, man, he was, uh, for as much as we... He's back he, in his element. He, he really is. I, I joked on Twitter that they put they put Thibel back in his natural habitat and he just went off. Um, and he he's very comfortable playing that. He played that certainly, especially the last two years at Washington. I'm blanking on the coach's name, but the guy came from Syracuse uh, and they played almost exclusively... A zone. Mike Hopkins. There you go. Uh, a zone there. And he his skill set fits it. His comfort fits it because he played it for so long. And he was just everywhere. Uh, and causing havoc in passing lane, causing havoc in drivers, being able to recover back, blocking at least one shot, maybe two there in that fourth quarter run, recovering back to a shooter. He changed the game. He and, and Korkmaz really changed that game and pulled out a win when they, they shouldn't have won that game. And he had a couple of possessions where he, he gave TJ McConnell a little bit of his own medicine, getting the the BS steals and frustrating him to no end. TJ was on the court that whole time. Yeah, and I think... And by the way, thank you, thank you, Pacers, for leaving two pretty much non-shooters out there for a stretch of that, which really helps against the zone. Your comment about almost having the story written after three quarters. I, I don't blame you for doing that because while I wasn't writing off that game, we split it up as you, you might have figured out. It's a very complex it pattern. It's one, then the other, then the other, then the other. You'll never figure it out. Never. Mm-hmm. But after three quarters, I mean, they had given up. I, I don't know what the exact number was, but it was 120 points per 100 possessions. They were getting Smoke. blasted. Smoke. Yep. <laughs> Dude's walking to the rim, transition, easy buckets. Malcolm Brogdon just going crazy off screen and roll. It was uh, it was not good, and that's what made the fourth quarter so jarring. I mean, you mentioned the two games where the Sixers struggled last season. The Sixers did not play well in those two games, and even Brad at that point was like, yeah, we need to get better at the zone. We got spooked by it a little bit. They did not have a quarter as bad as the Pacers no, did. The Pacers no got completely screwed up with it. And I think some of that is, it, it's a mental game. I, Doc mentioned this afterwards. Like if you miss one or two threes against the zone, then that zone becomes a lot more effective because you need to be decisive. You need to be willing to bomb threes. And the Sixers not only got in the Pacers heads in that way, they had Matisse Stiebel covering an insane amount of ground. And he, uh, you know, he's, we, we mentioned this on our last pod, but he's the rare defensive player that is better with kind of his back to the bat or facing the basket. You know, normally yeah. when you have to guard somebody, your back is to the basket. You have to stay in front of that player. Matisse is almost better when the guy gets by him. And luckily for him, in a screen roll situation, you're, you're essentially conceding that by going over a screen. But in his own defense, you're doing that too. And he just made some insane plays that if, you know, we pulled up some of his synergy clips from uh, from Washington, it would look pretty much the same. The only difference is this was the Indiana Pacers, not Oregon State. And, uh, I mean, he's, you know, again, the offense is still a struggle with Matisse. Big, uh, big runner against TJ, three-point play to basically seal the game. That was nice to see one of those go in for once. But he has had a phenomenal defensive week yeah. starting with the Detroit game. You know, he, he really has affected the game defensively in a way that like a perimeter reserve that doesn't happen all that much. So 
you know, we'll see how long it lasts, but that was, and the, and the main point with him as, as you brought up, it's just fun to watch. He's all over the place and, and he's making crazy anticipation plays and it's just fun to watch. And that was a big part of the, uh, of the comeback there. Yeah. I mean, it was, it is when you put like the Sixers. So you mentioned, I mean, look, the Pacers missed some shots and then they made some bad decisions and it kind of snowballed from there. And even Doc said like, look, we wanted to get him out of the rhythm. Uh, it does become a mental block at some point with that zone. Uh, you pretty much run the zone until you, until teams run you out of it. And the Pacers, I think they made two shots against the zone in like 15 possessions. So they never ran them out of it. Uh, so, you know, do I think Doc expected to run it for that long? No, he was just desperate. And they knew that they, like they hadn't stopped him all night. He mentioned in, in the past year that a zone had worked against them. And, and Dan Burke reminded him of that because Dan Burke was with the Pacers, of course. Dan Burke year. revenge game. It was. But I don't think anybody expected that to work that long. And I think it, a lot of people then come back and they say, well, should that be a regular part of their defense? Uh, like, I guess it depends. What, what do you mean regular? Like, use Could it like you... once every five games to try to throw an opponent off. Okay, fine. Fine. Is well, that going to be their base defense? Oh, God, no. No, against no, like you there. And look, the Sixers, I think, have a lot of personnel where that would like it would lend themselves to. That. I think having Simmons and Thibel up at the top is about as good of a starting point as you can have. And then having Embiid or Howard behind there helps. So I think the Sixers could be an effective zone team. But at some point, like these teams are just too good at shooting and moving the ball. They're going to if if, if that zone is in the scouting report and something you use on a night in night out basis they are going to pick it apart eventually. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited commercial offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager yeah i do agree with you zone is for cowards hashtag i am i'm not a fan of that i mean we always said like a few years ago when the sixers had reddick who i guess we'll talk about in a little bit i always thought just having that one sniper was you know they they didn't really have good shooting anywhere else but as long as you have decent offensive talent and the one sniper the zone really doesn't account for that and you know obviously they struggled without that one sniper at times against that zone they got better as the season went along though like you said 
I so so the one thing I might push back on a little bit, if that group just can't get stops at all without Embiid in a way that we saw in the first three quarters of that game, I, I would be more willing to see Doc try it once in a while. Like, okay, we, we can't get stops in man to man. Here's a concession. Let's try it for two possessions. Hey, sure. If they make a if they make yeah. a three, then get the hell out of it because I agree with you. Like most NBA defenses will will stop it. But yeah, are they going to play zone eighty five percent of the time? I think or, there are people who want it like forty percent of the time. A game, like no, I don't think you can do that at this level. But yeah, if you're two and a half what? quarters into a game and you haven't gotten a stop yet, yeah, throw it out there for a couple. Especially like matchup dependent. Sure, throw it out there. I think the Sixers, for an NBA team, the Sixers can be a decent zone team. I just don't think a zone is going to work for a third of a defensive possession on a night-in, night-out basis. I agree with that. And even the teams who employed it the most in recent years, I'm thinking of Miami. That That's a team that really liked to play zone. They were only playing it like... 15% of the time. I, I, I'm making that number up again so, with zero preparation. So far, Miami is playing it. Uh, nope. Where is it? I am awful. Uh, 12.7%. Nope. That's not even close. 12.6% is close. <laughs> I looked at the wrong number. It's, it's the same number. It's actually okay. very close. It's one decimal. <laughs> so far, Miami is playing it 12.6% of the time this season. And that's like, I think... Most teams who really ran it a lot topped out around 10%. So even they understand you, you give up a lot of open threes playing that. But they're, you know, I, I think the, remember when Elton had a press conference, I believe it was at the Christmas Day game last year. And he was like, well, we ran the stats. And because of those two games, we faced more zone in those two games than, than any other team. Than like 28 teams yeah. in the league or something like that. And I was like, I believe it because that was tough to watch, honestly, just to see a team in zone the whole time. Um, the yeah, only, I, agree, the I, I agree with you, but, but once in a while, and honestly, just to get Matisse to like make some crazy plays, it would be pretty cool. Yeah. There are only two teams that run it more than 12% of the time. Cleveland at 13.7%, which is pretty surprising. They're pretty good defense. And then Charlotte at 21.3%, which is mind boggling. But I don't think Charlotte's necessarily the team you want to emulate. Anyway, no. uh, there are 26 out of 30 teams run it on fewer than 10% of their defensive possessions. So Nice win nice win for Charlotte on, uh, I guess, Monday night with uh, that's the Sixers' next opponent as they uh, they really lit up Tyler Hero in overtime, man. They, they do have a lot of dudes who can take you one-on-one. It seems like Graham's starting to play a little bit better, which is good to see. I like that guy. Um, yeah, so... 2-3 zone, nice to see that they stumbled on it, but it certainly seems like Doc isn't making it a uh, a fixture in the scouting report. I did like that he made the connection to John Chaney after the yeah. game. Nice well. shout out, for sure. For sure. I, by the way, quick story. I remember John Chaney. When I was in high school, my, my coach, Speedy Morris, when I played high school basketball, he... Uh, he his best friend was John Chaney, who had just retired from from coaching, and the defense that we played in high school was a two three zone matchup. And the best part was, that, I mean, they were best friends. And John Chaney came in, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is unbelievable! Like he's going to get to teach us two three zone. He's like the master of this." And the way we played it, and the way that John Chaney taught it. And again, like there was a pretty big size difference, different level, shot clock, all that different stuff. 
But like there was something about not letting the ball into the middle that we didn't do. And John Chaney was like, that's exactly where you want it. And those two had a laugh and they were basically like, all right, I guess like I can't teach you the two, three zone anymore unless you want to change it up completely. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, John Chaney, RIP. He, uh, he rocked. Yeah, he did. My dad used to cover some of those teams and these were his later teams. This wasn't like the Mark Macon, like teams that were actually one seeds, but he would have some 11, 12 seeds in the tournament. And if these power five schools like Texas and Florida, these places, if they had not seen a two, three zone all year, they were liable to get their ass kicked in the tournament by temple. It was, uh, and you know, as the years go by temple, fine institution, obviously they might've been punching above their weight for a while there with John Cheney. For sure. For sure. Uh, that, that was definitely a tough one the other day. Um, Anything else on the on the Pacers game? Yeah, I mean, so Furkan. For, I mean, Furkan was fantastic down the, the stretch. Yep. Yeah, I, the one thing I, I don't, I didn't want this to get lost. You know, like let's just say they had a tough fourth quarter and they lost by fifteen points. They just played even with them, and the complete complexion of the game didn't change. The one major positive from that game, I thought Ben Simmons' offense in the first three quarters. Yep was the best approach we have seen from him the entire season. And some of it was, you know, Doc mentioned the double drag screens after the game. I think some of it is that Indiana, they come from the Toronto school of thought with Nate Bjorker and Nick Nurse. They want to pressure the ball at an insane degree. Like that's the way Toronto, they have those little guards just get up and get in you. They force a lot of turnovers. They give up some corner threes on the other end. That's the way they guard you. That's probably not the way you should guard Ben Simmons, but they did. They got up on him. And the problem is for Toronto, like, if you're conceding, if you're letting Ben Simmons get around you 35 feet from the hoop, like, he's pretty dangerous then, you know? And he he did a great job. Like, to be fair to Ben, he still had to attack Miles Turner a few times. Miles Turner was blocking everything this season. And it was kind of funny that Miles Turner had a, a similar game that he has against Embiid without playing against Embiid the day after saying that he was excited to play against Embiid. Yeah. That's pretty tough. But he's a really good shot blocker, and Ben took it to him a couple of times, and I thought that was you know, just a, a really impressive performance from him for most of the game. And I didn't want that to get lost because there are times where we talk about Ben in a win and say, ah, like I, I didn't really like how he played. I liked how he played for those first three quarters. Yeah. Yeah, and then I mean he was he was big offensively in the first three quarters and big defensively in the fourth. He had a a good game for sure. Um you know, Furcon, like we said, had a, a real big fourth quarter. It's nice to see him make some shots. He might come up here in the next segment. Shake is you know, did you see was, that grin Furcon had yeah, after they he, when, wow. when Furcon gets co- cocky, it can be it can be fun. I like I like I like in a groove Furcon for sure. For I sure. say this all the time. He makes me laugh so hard <laughs> with the stuff he does. <laughs> Did you see him compare himself to Alex Subers in the press conference <laughs> yes, the other night? He yes. is, ugh, I want him to be on the team forever. He's a, he's a, he's a funny guy. He is a definitely funny guy. Um, and I don't know if his, you know, English is obviously not his first language. I don't know if that makes him more funny because of some of the phrases he comes up with or less funny because he's not showing us his full, I think his full person, if I knew Turkish and could communicate with him in Turkish, I bet you he's even, even funnier. I, I like the lost in translation element a little bit. And obviously he speaks very good English, but, but once in a while you get a, you get a little humorous. Uh, he always, he always loves to call Ben Simmons, the Ben, which the ben. I love. I, I just adore that. 
How concerned are you with Shake? Yeah, not playing as well recently. And, and Doc has had a pretty quick hook on him. You yeah. know, he's not playing as many minutes in a lot of these games. 20 per game over the last six. And that even includes one with Embiid out. Yeah, where he played a lot of minutes. I mean, he played pretty much the whole fourth quarter in that Minnesota game. He was relegated to uh, cleanup duty. I'm still not that concerned. I, I still think he can continue to play that six-man role at, at a high level. Is it is he going to lose out on some uh, some six man of the year type stuff that we were talking about a few weeks ago? Yeah, I do think like he's he's taken a step back these last few weeks. He's not uh, he, he's kind of looked in between on a lot of his moves. Like he, he felt like pretty confident in getting to that floater for a couple of weeks, and, and he just was he seemed like he was making the right decision every time. And he's been. I don't know. He's been sped up a little bit over the past couple of weeks. And I still think the dude is plenty skilled enough to bounce back from that and, and still be a positive player. But yeah, for sure. It's been a tough couple of weeks for him. 9.2 points, 2.2 assists, 36.4% from the field, 9.1% from three over his last six games in 20.4 minutes. It is not the Shake Milton we'd become accustomed to. Like you, my concern level is not super high right now, though. I think he will... I think he will bounce back. And you got to keep playing him. Yeah. He, there's nobody else who has his, his skill set on the team. You you have to. You need it, him in that second unit, for sure. Look, look, it's fine if he's not playing that well and you don't want to give him the closing minutes that you would give him when he's lighting it up. But he needs 20 minutes a game. Like, he's, he's that important to your eventual outcome. And 20 minutes is when he's struggling. Like, when yeah. he's playing well, he is getting that 30 minutes and, and, and closing games. All right, so that brings us to a shooter who may or may not be on the market. Uh, our own Sham Sharania of The Athletic uh, reporting that what the Pelicans are... How do you phrase it exactly? Was it that They're bad. Redick is in, they are bad. No, I'm kidding. Um, but basically, there are, there are three bad. teams that, that the Pelicans are looking to have discussions with about Redick, uh, moving Redick to. Uh, those were obviously Philadelphia... Uh, the Nets and the Celtics, an East Coast bias Reddick definitely does have with his family based out of Brooklyn. So, so far, Reddick on the season, 16 games, 7.9 points, shooting 33.6% from the field and 29.8% from three-point range. He had a, I think he bumped knees a couple of weeks ago, maybe about a month ago. And I think that has impacted his play. I think he had... He had an ankle injury last March. He had some injury last March, some lower body injury last March, which I think I saw Jared Weiss over on the Athletic Boston speculating that he might not be fully back from. Regardless, he is not playing well at all. Do we have any interest in pursuing J.J. Redick in a trade? Less in a trade, more in the buyout market, I would say. And I mean, not to say that you couldn't make a trade for him, but I I would not be interested in making that the big trade you make oh no definitely not so in order to match he makes 13 million in salary in order you can't use the trade exception that you got from al horford that was only 8.2 i think so in order to match his salary you'd have to either trade danny green who is a starter and a guy who can compete defensively in the playoffs you're not doing that or it would have to be like mike scott and Bradley. Tony Bradley, yeah, and something like that. Ferguson. I'll be completely honest. I'm not sure if I have more confidence in JJ in the postseason right now than I do in Mike Scott. And I don't even really like Mike Scott. 
We just complained last podcast that Doc was making them too integral to the rotation. <laughs> I am really concerned that JJ's pair of lower body injuries, that basically this 16-game slump, I think he'll he'll get better. I don't think this is who he is completely, but I worry that he's lost not only a step, but maybe two steps here. I mean, look, he'll be 36 in June when the Sixers will be making that finals run or 37 he's 36 now if six make a finals run he'd be 37 am i confident that jj who's shooting 29 percent from three uh over 16 games has had two lower body injuries here is going to bounce back and be able to perform at the level he did to no not at all um if i did i would have no problem trading mike scott and stuff let's say mike scott and tony bradley and a second round pick sure bring him in like and i know jj's defensive limitations i know all that but between the shooting and how important that is and the relationship he has with Embiid and the two-man game that those who have if i have confidence i'm getting the 2018-19 version of reddick or even 90 percent of the 2018-19 version of reddick sure i'm just very concerned right now that you're not getting that and i would need to see more before i i, I go there yeah and I, I would echo everything you said i'll even take it a step further if we were getting the 2019-20 version yeah. of Redick. He shot 45% yeah. from three last season. And I'll be the first person to say that I don't watch a lot of Pelicans, so yeah. I don't really know. It never felt to me like, remember when he was on our podcast last year, I asked him the question like, why don't you run any two-man game with Zion? And he was like, well, we haven't really gotten to that. And to be fair to them, like Zion and him, like they, they didn't play together that many yeah. games. And that was something that really did take a year for him and Embiid to get into high level and a lot of reps with those guys, both healthy. I, I Yeah, I'm with you. Like, he's 36 years old, and, and yeah, I would have to be confident that he could regain even the level of a couple years ago. Now, the one thing I will say, like, I have seen on Twitter some people say that they're not interested at all in him. Oh, I am. And if the Sixers yeah. were able to get him on, like, a buyout, yeah. I would jump pretty in hard. In a second. In a second. Yep. Look, I think we are both pretty pro JJ. We're very pro. I'm. There's nobody more pro JJ than me. Yeah, uh, we were pro JJ on what he brought to the team, on on how he fit with Embiid. And I think a lot of people say, "Well, we've got Seth Curry. We don't need another shooter." No, you need as many gosh darn shooters as you can get, um, especially off ball shooters who can run off of screens like JJ can. You 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 legitimately like if you're if you would say like you have one ball handler Embiid and like three JJs, assuming they could defend their position. Sure, bring it. Um, I think you cannot have too much shooting around and beat. The question is, there, there is a legitimate question of whether you could have Curry and Redick on a court at the same time defensively. No. But that's not that's not a concern over having like Curry filling the shooting role. There is no shooting role. Shooting is just a skill set that helps in every position. So I would, I would have interest in bringing JJ back. I would have interest in trading for him at the trade deadline if he can prove that he can bounce back to where he was. I just don't have interest in trading something now, especially because... I mean, you would be losing one piece of your rotation in Mike Scott, who I'm not in love with, but, I mean, Doc brings him up every time. And you just don't know, like, there, you, for, I mean, you don't have you, that many pieces of trade. Like, I think you're going to want a, a backup center or someone who can at least play credible backup center minutes who can stretch the floor. I think you're going to want that. I think you'd probably want to upgrade that backup four spot in Mike Scott. You just got so many other different pieces that if I'm not confident that JJ is going to contribute in the playoffs now, then I'm not making that trade now. I'm not getting rid of some of the limited resources the Sixers do have uh, for that 
you know, and also I just want to keep keep everything clean so that when we get to the trade deadline, if a star becomes available, you've got as many like I, I want to keep that avenue as clean as possible too. So yeah, um, I'm, I'll be honest, I don't think he's getting traded now anyway. I think this gets dragged out to the trade deadline. Um, I don't think Brooklyn has the resources to make a trade right now, and I don't think Boston is desperate enough to make a trade right now. So I think this probably does end up getting dragged out to the deadline. And then we can see, does he bounce back? If not, does it become a buyout candidate? Then I'd have interest. But right now in a trade, I'm not I'm not giving up even Mike Scott, Tony Bradley in a second. I'm just I'm not, I'm not doing it. Yeah, and like you said, the I, I would argue that the team's more pressing needs, and actually Seth Partnow wrote about this a little bit on The Athletic, making the point that, hey, maybe the Sixers shooting, you know, you, you there's the axiom like you always could use more shooting. They, they're, they're pretty good shooting-wise. And in the playoffs, a player like J.J., if let's say even if he regains his offensive form, somebody who could be targeted on the defensive end, those players lose their value a little bit. And you just made the point. I would argue that their two biggest needs are either 3-4 or, or backup 5 who can shoot. And they have a lot of these guys, these smaller players who are decent shooters and, and Korkmaz and Curry and Milton and Maxi. you know, he's not the greatest shooter in the world, but you know what I mean? And Danny Green, even, you know, he's not huge for a small forward, but if you were going to bring JJ back, it would be in a bench role. Yeah. And it would be awesome if you had him in a bench role and he was able to regain his form. Like, can you imagine just letting him do his thing with Embiid for, 10, 12 minutes a game, tell him, hey, like, go as hard as possible. If you're cooking, maybe we'll get you up to 20 minutes a game. But if not, no big deal. You know, basically playing the Bellinelli role from 2017-18. If he's back to his last year's self, like, he's overqualified for that, obviously. Sure. But I uh, I agree with you. It's not something I would be pressing right away. I, the good news, though, like you said, I mean, even Brooklyn, like, they don't need JJ. No. They need guys who defend, right? Boston, yeah, I, I actually think they, they could, could. They could use him. I just don't. I think Danny uh, Danny Ainge is going to want to keep that trade exception for the trade deadline. Would be my well, guess. and they can also use it after the season too. Right. So I, you know, I haven't looked like uh, I'm not like uh, Nate Duncan or somebody who could just pull up all of the different options that they have right away. But you know, you, you're only you're using a, a decent part of that trade exception in trading for Reddick. So I agree. Yeah, I think, I think that'd be roughly about half of the trade exception. Well, the good news is if he doesn't trade for Reddick, he'll say that he almost traded for him. <laughs> he will. He will. Um, look, you make a trade now for one of two reasons, either because you desperately need the services of that person. Like, like now, like you legitimately need to, um, need, need him in your roster or because you are terrified of somebody else getting it, getting him. And right now, I don't think JJ like James Harden. You trade for now because you're worried Brooklyn is going to pull a, pull a trigger. JJ Reddick's not he's not good enough to sort of warrant that kind of panic yet. So there's no reason to trade for him now when he's slumping, when he had the knee bruise, when you know you want to see who becomes available. There's just no reason to jump the market right now. So I think you wait until the trade deadline, which is March 25th. 25th, something like that. A month and a half away, basically. Sounds right. Uh, see if he can regain his form. If not, see if he becomes available on the buyout market. If he does, you've got, I think, like 4.9 left of the non-taxpayer mid-level. They used a little bit of it on Isaiah Joe, so they don't have the full thing. But they have a good chunk of the non-taxpayer mid-level left. Uh, you could say, hey, you're a train ride away from Brooklyn. 
you know Doc Rivers, you have some chemistry with Embiid, like this is a good spot for you. And I think that is a play for the Sixers. As much as I like JJ um, and, and what he can bring to the team, I think it's best to wait on this one. I, I think it would be a pretty appealing place for him if he did hit the buyout market. Yeah, I mean, Brooklyn might be more appealing, and I I would get that if it was, but um, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, uh, let's see. You want to touch on Embiid? I think Embiid's getting a lot. He named earlier uh, today, we're recording this on Tuesday night. Um, Podcast will come out Wednesday, but named earlier today as the Eastern Conference Player of the Month, an award he has won twice before, I think, maybe? Once or twice. I thought it was once. Uh, might be once, but along with uh, Jokic, uh, the only time or the first time in like 14 years that two centers have won the award in the same month and, and one of his closest competitors for MVP candidate. So I guess we'll just go there. You know, we've spent a decent amount of time in the last podcast talking about Embiid and his MVP candidacy. So we probably don't need to touch on that. And to be honest, he hasn't played a game since then. But I guess we just had to, for a a brief moment here, shout out Embiid and the run that he is on uh, and the best stretch of basketball he's ever played. Uh, And and it's not even really close. I think I said on the last podcast that he is far and away the MVP winner. I'm going to take that back. Jokic is doing really good. good. He's really good. And it's certainly a neck and neck race. I, I think Hollinger wrote today that it's those two by a mile. A lot of people will say like, well, Jokic can't be the MVP because Denver has a middling defense. Well, look at the Sixers offense. Like Sixers offense is still middling too. And yeah, we like to give, we like to make a direct comparison to um, centers and defense because that is their role typically. And to be fair, it is like the Sixers are the fourth ranked defense in large part because of Embiid, but with how integral Jokic is to Denver's offense, like they run their offense through him. He is essentially their point guard. Um, he he makes that entire offense click. So he is a. I mean, he's 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 right there. He's right there for sure. What I was thinking about, you know, how in recent years there has been a push to make the All NBA teams positionless, so you can just get the Five best minutes. fifteen yep. players. And a lot of the times, the argument is, I don't want to put three centers on that list. It's really well. Guess what? If right you made now. it positionless this year, you'd have two dudes on first team All NBA. Yeah, yeah you as would. a center. It'd be straight back to the early nineties. It's great. It just is so crazy what these guys are doing, you know, after years of, well, is the center dead? Like, can the center be the best player on a title team? And I guess that's still a legitimate question until somebody proves it. But, you know, for these guys to be just so big and so skilled, it's uh, it's like nothing we've ever seen on a basketball court or anybody has ever seen like big guys with this level of versatility and efficiency and just running an offense through them in so many ways, it's, uh, it's impressive and well-deserved for both of them. The, uh, the player of the month, which I mean, who cares, but yeah, who really cares. I mean, it just, it's just a, a point that Embiid is playing really get really great basketball and he is being rewarded for it. All right. So what we Doc got Rivers sh- one coach of the month too. He did. He did. It's turning into a straight up 2000, 2001, uh, you know, sort of formula here. Yeah. That was my did, favorite uh, when, when people were like, well, you've got the defensive player of the year and the coach of the year and the MVP. How can the Lakers be favorites? Because they're a much better team. Because they're good. Did Daryl Morey win? Exe- they don't do executive of the month, do they? No, they don't. They no, don't. They that don't. would be funny. 
Well, especially since you go multiple months without making a move, it would be a, a little tough, a little tough. Um, all right. So we have the Hornets coming up uh, tomorrow, which will be later tonight by the time this comes out. Then two home games, two pretty big home games, a, a return of Covington and the Blazers. And then the Nets, which will be fascinating and I can't wait for, coming up on Saturday and then a four-game road trip. You know, but I guess we'll end this on talking about a different basketball game. Uh, it it was brought to my attention that uh, some other Sixers podcast, uh, the Wrights Ricky Sanchez challenged us to a basketball game, a two-on-two basketball game. Rich, you scared? You nervous? N- not quite. The uh, I did get a kick out of Spike basically saying that he would die on the court, but then we're going to kill them. <laughs> yeah. And look, you know, I was, it was funny. I, I actually was legitimately angry about that for about 12 hours. Like I, I texted Spike. I was like a little, a little testy. I felt like the, almost like the, the ugly jock almost like I'm going to kill you like that type of thing. Um, I don't know, like one little challenge on, uh, on playing a two on two basketball game actually got like, you could say whatever you want about me. I'll let it slide, whatever. But you insult my basketball ability. <laughs> Especially when I know I'm better than you. <laughs> then I got angry. And then I uh I got over it. But I uh I accept. We accept the challenge. Bring it the f on, Spike. Like bring it on. Like, look, I feel a little bit guilty saying that because I know you're an old guy at this point. I know you've got your health issues, but you shouldn't have brought it the f- up then you shouldn't have brought it up and look i'm not exactly a spring chicken anymore either i am in my late 30s with a history of knee problems uh but bring it the f- on you know maybe we can wait until the summer when hopefully this covid thing is a little more under control you can bring some of your minions charge them a couple of bucks uh we can have a post-game dual pod or something donate the proceeds to charity whatever you want to do fine by me just get your on a basketball court and we will smoke you you I, and your smoker arm troll <laughs> you have no chance that was a big mistake you made making that challenge um wow. you're trolling you cannot cyber bully in the post uh, that doesn't no. work in the paint bring it the f- on you know what else doesn't work like i like their point of oh i run like five miles and shoot doesn't some matter. free throws I'm not, I'm not, we're not doing a marathon buddy it doesn't matter it doesn't matter I, you know, for guys who have a basketball podcast, you would think they would understand <laughs> what is required to play basketball and like put the ball in the hoop. And that is like actual skill, experience, athleticism. Let's do it. Not having smoker's arms. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. No, look. You're being a little hard. You're being a little harsh there, but you know. That's his thing, saying people have smoker's arms. So I'm just throwing it back at him. Um, oh, but okay. yes, we full-heartedly accept bring it on we will we will smoke the shit out of you and uh, everyone listening to this get on spike because i think he made that challenge not expecting us to accept or not expecting to follow through on it make him follow through on it we will we will be more than happy to do that and i think with that that is probably a good enough place to end it with spike the coward um play a game you coward rich thanks for jumping on and we will talk to you soon wow fire into the podcast (laughs) 